This is an ABC podcast. You know that feeling when, when your heart warms? I knew that I had found someone really, really special. She was so lighthearted. It was like she didn't have a care in the world. I, I just knew that I wanted to get to know her. I'm Elizabeth Coolass. Welcome to Days Like These. Today, we bring you a story of love at first sight, about the extreme lengths that we go to to keep that love alive, and a couple determined to do whatever it takes to create a family. This love story starts in Brisbane in the 1990s. Sonia is in her mid-twenties and she finds herself restless for adventure. So she decides to pack up her life and go to law school on the other side of the world. As soon as I arrived in London, I felt it was home. It was a Friday night and I just decided to explore Soho. I went and had a drink in a bar and I saw this girl standing nearby and I just thought she was the most gorgeous girl I'd ever seen. Soon they get talking and they click, just like in a movie. Her name is Tess. Their love blossoms, they build a life together. Sonia starts working as a solicitor, they get married and they begin trying for a baby. On and off, we had been trying for... About five years. But it doesn't happen for them. I think we, we had consciously decided that we weren't going to continue trying anymore. It, it had been quite a process of making that decision. Sonia and Tess still love the life that they've built together. They love London. But every once in a while, they've got to get away from that cold, drizzly city. So about five years ago, they find themselves holidaying in Capsuliana on the Greek island of Crete. They unwind in the sun and they subsist on a diet of cheese and olives and wine. And on one of these days, they join the crowd of other holidaymakers to tour the palace of Knossos. And it's there that they first see her, sitting contentedly under a nearby tree. She just looked so sort of happy. She, she skipped on over, just like so carefree. She has short black hair, big eyes, and slippers that are white, even after walking on the dusty roads. She just really touched our hearts. And although they couldn't communicate with words, Sonia feels this instant connection with her. And she did look very hungry. So I decided to go over to the little canteen and get what food I could that she might be able to eat. Sonia asks the man working there what he thinks she might like. And he said, well, what's the point in feeding her today because you'll be gone tonight and then she'll be hungry again. She ate the whole lot, like, you know, (laughs) quite big, big sandwiches. Sonia and Tess watch as she finishes the last of the sandwiches. And the guide begins to gather the group together to start the palace tour. She wanders off, 
and they can see her begin to approach other tourists, her liquid eyes imploring them for other scraps. She must do that a lot, but she's not their responsibility, right? She just made such an impression and then when when we were about to leave, she was sort of in the distance and so we just sort of waved goodbye. We were driving back to the hotel and I just couldn't get out of my mind. I just felt so wrong to leave her there. And the further we went, the worse I felt. And I just... I had visions of her being there alone at night, in the dark and in the cold, and not having anyone to love her. You know when your heart feels all twisted and like you're doing the wrong thing and you know that you can put it right, but you're not doing anything to put it right. And so my heart felt in this really wrong place. Back at the hotel, they're having a drink at the restaurant. Sonia can't stop thinking about her. She knows it's silly, they only met briefly. But she has this yearning. A yearning to see her again. A yearning that she can't seem to quiet. And then finally, she shares the yearning with Tess. So over dinner, they hatch a plan. And the next morning at 4am, they jump in their hire car and starts speeding the two-hour drive back to the Palace of Knossos, hoping desperately to find their little friend with the dark hair and the white slippers who'd stolen their hearts. Tess said, look, if she's not there, then it's a sign, right? It's a sign that it's not meant to be. But if she is there, then we'll do everything that we can to get her back. And so I, I, I did feel mixed, mixed feelings, whether or not we were doing the right thing. I just felt that we could have a really good life together. They pull up at the Palace of Knossos and look out at the vast emptiness that surrounds it. It's six in the morning by now, and the hordes of tourists haven't arrived yet. But they will soon. And when they do, it'll be nearly impossible to find her among the crowd. Sonia and Tess have to move fast. So they split up. As Sonia scours the grounds, Tess heads back to where they'd been waiting yesterday. And that's where she finds her, sitting under the same olive tree, as if she'd been waiting for them. By the time I got there, they were already cuddling. Gosh, yeah, I was just so happy. Tess was just beaming from ear to ear. It was just a really special moment. They've found her. They can't believe it. But what the hell are they going to do now? They head home to England tomorrow. And they can't just take her with them. Can they? It made me very nervous to think that we were forcing her to do something that she really didn't want to do. They start weighing up the pros and the cons, the rights and the wrongs. The life she had there was obviously a free life. I mean, a difficult life because she was scavenging for food and living on the generosity of tourists. But they keep coming back to this horrible thought of her, hungry and alone. I guess we were convinced that we were ultimately doing the right thing in wanting to give her a home. They decide to check out the situation a little further. And they're told, given that she's homeless, 
they can actually take her home with them. But there is a catch. To get her over to England, she'll need a variety of vaccinations and a place to stay for about three months while she waits out the incubation period. Sonia and Tess look at each other. What are they supposed to do? The fallen head over heels for her. They drive her back to the hotel with them, not really sure what comes next. That night, the three of them go to the hotel restaurant for dinner. And it already feels so natural, sitting around the table like a family of three. Their waiter, who they befriended on the stay, comes over to take their order. He said, oh my goodness, he said, isn't she pretty? And then the owner of the hotel came over and wanted to see what was going on. Mr Miros is his name. And he said, so tell us the story. And so we told him the story and he said, well, you've got to call her Olive. We said, that's the perfect name. She's Olive. Now she has a name, but she still needs somewhere to stay before she can make the trip to London. Sonia and Tess can't stay with her and they're running out of time to find her a temporary home. Mr Miros doesn't think this is such a big problem. He looks to the waiter and he says, you can take her. You can look after her until it's time to go to London, right? And Stelios really had nowhere to go because his boss was telling him what to do. And we said, well, Stelios, we'll, we'll pay you handsomely for it. And Stelios said, well, you know, I'm, I'm working. This is, you know, now the, now the tourist season and, and I work literally all day and most of the night for the next six months. He cracks. By the dinner's end, he's already become smitten with Olive himself. And so it's decided. She will stay with Stalios until she's ready to make the journey to London. And as they board the plane, Sonia and Tess both feel pangs of anxiety. There were so many unknowns when we left Olive with Stalios in, in Crete. How long it would take, whether or not Stalios would be able to go through with it. Now, in an entirely different country... It's out of their hands. So they keep themselves busy, planning for the new life that they hope will begin with Olive's arrival. Trying to prepare the house for Olive. (laughs) It was like the Queen was going to arrive. Four months passed and... We were trying not to bother Stelios too much because we knew how busy he was. But every now and then we'd call and just say, how's it going? And, you know, we were losing hope. Eventually, Stelios does get everything in order. So Sonia and Tess book flights back over to Crete to pick her up. It's actually happening. The little family of three is about to come together. They head to Stelios's apartment. And there she is, once again, sitting there, as if she'd been waiting for them to return. She was very excited to see us. I mean, it's possible that she was just excited to see anybody because her days were long and lonely. But you felt that connection with her and and it, it was a nice reunion. It was very, very sweet. Just oodles and noodles of cuddles. You know, we just didn't want to let her go. But neither did Stalios or his girlfriend. In the months since she'd lived with them, both of them had fallen in love with Olive too, especially his girlfriend. She interviewed us. She hadn't met us before. 
and we really felt like we were going through some sort of adoption agency. Stelios's girlfriend finally gives in. You look into Olive's eyes and she holds your gaze and she's got this real sense of humour. And after four months of waiting and all the twists and turns of bureaucracy and immigration, Sonia holds her breath all the way back to London. Until she got on that plane and, and we got her through customs at Gatwick, we just didn't know if it was all going to work out. But they do land and they do make it safely through the airport. And soon, Olive is taking her first steps in her new home. So she had a lot of time to adjust to living in a, in a strange place and make that feel like it was really her home. And, and for sure now, I've got no doubt that England is, is home for Olive and she's adjusted really well. And Tess and Sonia had to adjust to becoming a family of three and really getting to know Olive. We, we did a DNA test on her and part of the reason that we did a DNA test on her is because we wanted to understand why she was behaving in the way that she was. And one of her characteristics was to just wander off. So many, many times Tess and I would be tearing our hair out because we, <laughs> we would lose Olive. We ended up calling her Houdini because one second she was there and then the next second she was not. But it turns out there's a perfectly logical explanation for this. Olive is half beagle. <laughs> yeah, half beagle. Can you believe it? I was thinking more of a schnauzer kind of thing, you know, black fur, white feet. But no, beagle. So she is the kind of dog that has her nose to the ground all the time when she's outside and she just gets carried away and she follows a trail. Oh, you thought that they'd kidnapped a child. Yeah, no, Olive's a dog. And she's changed their lives. To, to have a stray animal and be able to give it a home is just such a special thing. And there's just an, I think there's an extra special bond between a human and a dog or a cat when you can sort of come together like that and, and find a home for one another. I think the challenge for Olive was to understand what it was to belong to a pack, to, to belong to a family and to convince her that you know, she belonged with us and we belonged with her and we, you know, belonged together. And just like that, their family was complete. Tess, Sonia and Olive, the little dog from Crete. And then about two years later, Tess and Sonia head back to Crete for another holiday and they spend their final few days in a town called Agios Nikolaos. We hired bicycles to explore the area and we set off fairly early and we cycled around the harbour and then out from a bush leaps this dog and she leaps onto Tess and Tess gets off her bike and I said, Tess, don't do it. And she said, oh, it'll be all right, it'll be all right. She just wants a cuddle. Just a cuddle? <laughs> right, sure. And this dog was a, an orange dog with some white stripes. And she'd clearly run away from somewhere. She was skin and bone. 
and she just leapt up on Tess and with her two front paws just clung on to Tess's hips. These two have learned nothing. And Tess started crying. And I said, honey, what have you done? And she said, well, what could I have done? You know, I, I couldn't have just continued cycling along when this dog obviously needed a cuddle. Obviously. Needed a cuddle. And I said, okay, okay. And she said, well, you know, I've given her a cuddle now. Let's just get back on our bikes and continue our ride. And so they do. But the dog? It follows them. Everywhere. They cycle around the harbour, they cycle through the alleyways, up streets, around corners, it doesn't matter. They can't lose her. She was a dog with a bone and she wasn't going to let us go. They come to a busy street and as they ride ahead, they look back to see if she's still following. Some of the people would kick the dog. They're mortified, but what can they do? They're trying to escape this dog for her own good. Up ahead, there's a hill. Surely this will put her off. Tess was charging up ahead. As she looks over her shoulder, she sees the dog is still chasing her. So Tess calls out to Sonia. Faster. Pedal faster. They find a little side alley and pull in, huddling, hiding behind a car. They can see the little dog frantically scanning and searching, looking for them. But eventually, they see her give up. It was just a horrible, horrible thing because she was so desperate. I just felt that we ought to have left the dog alone. Eventually, Sonia and Tess get on their bikes and ride back to the hotel. They're heartbroken. And here they are again, having a drink on a balcony in Crete, thinking about what might have been. And we both just looked at each other and said, you know, we just cannot leave this dog here. But this time, they know what they're doing. I mean, if you define knowing what you're doing as falling for stray dogs on a Greek island. Tess decided on her name. She just said, I'd like to call her Rosie if we can find her again. We drove to the harbour that morning at about five o'clock and we waited there looking for the dog. Tess and I decided to divide and conquer. Tess would sort of hang about by the harbour side while I would explore around the area. Sonia searches empty building sites. She whistles and she knocks on doors. She starts asking strangers if they've seen a dog. Yay hi, orange fur, couple of white stripes. At one point, she even starts calling out Rosie. Rosie! 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 I mean, they're desperate. We got back in the car and just sitting there by the the harbour side and thinking, my goodness, you know, Our one chance at giving Rosie a home has just been dashed. They're about to give up when a lady with three dogs in her car parks opposite them. So Sonia runs up to the woman and starts telling her crazy stories about an orange dog with white stripes. She she just looked at me with her mouth open And after I finished the story, she said, that dog jumped in my car yesterday afternoon. And she said, she is now at the vet being de-sexed. And I said, well, we would like to take that dog home. We've fallen in love with her. She said, come with me to the vet this afternoon. 
and we will take it from there. All they know is that at a vet somewhere in Crete, there is an orange dog with white stripes. High chance that it's not the same dog with orange fur and white stripes. We just didn't want to get our hopes up. They had their hopes up. We were so hopeful that it would be Rosie, but we were really apprehensive and nervous. So they get to the vet's office and they're shown through. Lo and behold, it was Rosie. A week later, Rosie arrived at Gatwick Airport safely on a cargo plane. She and Olive are inseparable. Five years on, the rest, as they say, is history. When I think about it now, the time when we were trying to have kids, yeah, that would have been a life for us to to have had children. But the life that we have now with Olive and Rosie is... It was almost like it was meant to be. It was almost like, you know, when we found Olive, that, you know, she was was the family that we're meant to have. The little family that we have is just, it's perfect. I can't imagine wanting anything else, really. was reported by Monica O'Hanlon. Thanks for listening to Days Like These. If you've got a story to share with us, do get in touch. We take voice memos and emails to our address, dayslikethese at abc.net.au. Also, you can follow Days Like These on the ABC Listen app or wherever you listen so that you never miss an episode. And while you're there, if it's available to you, please leave us a rating and a review. It helps new people find the show and the stories that we're telling. Days Like These is hosted by me, Elizabeth Coolass. This episode was reported by Monica O'Hanlon and it was made on the lands of the Gubby Gubby and Wiradjuri Woiwurrung peoples. Sound designed by Monica O'Hanlon and Isabella Tropiano. The supervising producer was Justine Kelly with help from Sophie Townsend. Our brilliant executive producers are Tom Wright and Ian Walker and our theme song is Yeah Na by the Gooch Palms, courtesy of Ratbag Records and DMG. We'll see you next time.
next week on Days Like These, we travel to Narago Country or the Snowy Mountains. It's midwinter, and in the Threadbow River, it is 3.3 degrees. Joy Simons is wearing just a swimsuit, a cap, and goggles, and she's swimming lap after lap with a bright orange floaty tied to her bum. Joy is attempting what some consider the most dangerous swim in the world, the ice mile. To swim an ice mile, you have to swim the full mile in sub-five-degree water and you have to be alive 45 minutes after the event. And in order to be able to be in the cold for such a long period of time, you can't just train the physical, you have to train the mental. That's coming up next week on Days Like These. And while you're waiting, why not check out another great ABC podcast? I recommend Earshot. The show hosts a diverse selection of documentaries, from intimate portraits to stories that cover some of the biggest issues of our time, and just about everything in between. Earshot brings you stories that surprise, delight and compel, and every episode takes you somewhere else. Find Earshot on the ABC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts.